I think talking about you know where is the spiritual in design practice, where is the poetics, like where is um, how are we trying to kind of depict or discuss or or reach something bigger than ourselves. Welcome to the 21st Century Design Podcast. My name is Rodrigo Bautista. This is a research podcast by Jan Laysens and myself, in which we interview designers, tech experts, writers, academics, and activists on the future of design. Um, let's start, and thank you very much, Joanna, for joining us. We are very happy to have you here in 21st Century Design. First of all, I'm going to ask you please to introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit more about you so our listeners can understand all the different hats that you wear. Thank you for inviting me to share um, some of my thoughts on design and the future of design. I'm currently transitioning out of a PhD in communication design and sustainability. Mainly my, my background Prior to the PhD, has been working as a communication designer with a focus on social innovation, sustainability. Working as a consultant, whether like larger clients or a small startup um, community-driven projects. I should say a little bit more than that. No, it's fine. I think we can break the news. I was going to say. <laughs> I'm not going to publish it until probably you're already on the uh, on the position then. Cool, yes. So I, I currently am uh, collaborating with Hyper Island. I'm supervising students on the Digital Media Masters program. And also I am a teaching assistant with the IDEO-U program, um, helping students to understand how to apply design tools and methods to their professional practices all sorts of professional practices excellent thank you great well i'm very happy to have you here because you are such a good friend we've been working for years together so it's just a great opportunity to reflect with you the things that we normally talk about so let's crack it on with question number one and is is how would you define design and, and what does design mean to you so for this question um Given that you, you have the parenthesis of what does design mean to you, then I kind of took the liberty to talk about it in a more philosophical way. Um, so I see, I see a difference between the design discipline and the design practice. And coming from having just come out of a PhD and spending four years in academia thinking about what is design theoretically, um, one of the realizations has been on focusing on design as a practice. So design as a practice, as a way of how we see the world and how we respond to the world around us. And so I see design as this piece of intelligence that we apply to practice and through iteration, doing, making, testing and evaluating, we are able to change the conditions around us into hopefully better ones. So defining design to me is about the way that we exist in the world and the way that we respond to the challenges around us. I think that's the best 
definition I can give it without going into kind of the strands of a theoretical discussion around design. I would love to, obviously. <laughs> so yeah. now that, that, that's a really that's a really really good one. I think just to make the distinction between the discipline and the practice and the the, the separation between them is is very very yes. very useful. And I think that connects also with question number two, which is about the definition and function of design has evolved over the years. So we have seen like how. Over the last century, beginning of the last century, helping a lot of industrialization, the boom of capitalism and, and growth, uh, post Second World War. So, design had a, having a key role in products, then evolving to services and platforms, etc. What is happening at the moment with design and what will be in the future? So, in a way, this question is just like a timeline past, present, and future. Uh, how do you think has evolved the definition over these years? So, the design discipline as we see it today in this holistic way uh, is quite young right and i i feel like we are in a transition and we actually don't know where the boundaries lie uh, in the past um, so historically design has a whole narrative around functionality being the primary driver um, then this idea of problem solving uh, this idea of wicked problems with multiple stakeholders, multiple motivations. How do we, how do we find a common solution? And then with the the sustainability movement, the seventies, Victor Papenak, all of that um, design sort of also gained this idea of how do we give back more than what we extract from nature in terms of resources. Um, the, all these conversations around designers actually being responsible to some extent for damage done to the environment um, for, for the purpose of fulfilling uh, human needs. Um, at the moment, we've evolved from that. I think the word responsible has now um, moved into responsive. So it's actually something that one of my PhD supervisors Adam Thor writes extensively about. Um, there's three interesting things going on at the moment, I feel. The first one is what I refer to as the expanded practice of design. So this idea that between design disciplines, product, communication, fashion, the different design disciplines are becoming more diffused between each other. So we see a lot of a lot of design practice that actually sits in between. So the multidisciplinarity. Um, another interesting thing in that is the idea of service design tools. So service design becoming more integrated in these design disciplines, in product, fashion, communication, and it becoming actually a very expanded practice in that sense because what connects it is a unifying design knowledge or design thinking quote quote <laughs> so that that would be the first thing conversation that's going on the second conversation would be around this idea of design thinking both interesting and controversial um controversial in the sense of people who are not essentially trained as designers who are not design experts 
having accessibility to design tools and methods. Um, what does that say for the future of design as a discipline? Um, I think it's a very interesting space because it brings up a whole, um, it makes room for design and designers to reinvent themselves and to really push the discipline forward. Um, so if we are able to move away from designing products to designing tools and methods for other people who are not trained as designers to use, um, what does that do for the world around us? So that's something I'm, I'm really interested in. And the third conversation building on that is the space of design for social innovation. So this idea of people who are empowered by these tools and methods, how can they use that to better um, develop their communities, to problem solve, to respond to challenges on, on their own. So the designer moving to this position of facilitator in some way. So those are the three strands at the moment that I'm personally interested in. And I see happening and um, in the future um, there is one thing that I am personally very very interested in which is this idea of where is the spiritual in design and I refer to that as design dharma which is a little side project that's growing uh, more than I expected initially so historically in art, in art um, discipline, um, the idea of, of spirituality has always been embedded. Um, and I first came to this realization of where is the spiritual in design um, when, I, when I read a book by um, Kandinsky called The Spiritual in Art. So working within the area of sustainability and design, uh, we see that the relationship between the human condition and the ecosystems around us, I mean, that, that's, kind, that's, all, that's been the, ma the mainstream focus of, of uh, conversation. We see a few authors who write about design and sustainability kind of hinting at this idea of, uh, of the spiritual um, being kind of hidden in there, like Aaron Fell talks about it as an act of flourishing. So the idea of flourishing our human condition through designing products and services that are more in tune with the environment. Um, and then Professor Stuart Walker also talks about uh, the idea of, from a product design perspective, talks about the idea of fulfillment how design objects fulfill a spiritual need or not. So, so there's a few authors out there who, and designers, design writers, who are bringing up this discussion around where's the spiritual in design. Um, my concern in this conversation is that very easily it gets pushed into kind of a fluffy area that we designers are not comfortable with because we like, you know, we think analytically and logically and anything that is hard to quantify or, or qualify in some category, we feel a discomfort about. 
Um, so the way that I want to have this conversation on the spiritual in design is needs to be substantiated by some kind of uh, deeper analytical thinking. Um, but it, it is an area that in the future I see will become more of uh, a discussion uh, because there are in the present um, certain hints or certain triggers that are coming up. Uh, Victor Margola also wrote a uh, really interesting article um, and that was titled Design the Future and the Human Spirit. So that to me was also, and this was 2007, so, so that to me um, has always been an inspiration to think about where is the spiritual in design. So I think those are the three points. It's a lot of information, I know. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. I just like uh, making a very quick recap, especially just focusing on present and future, what you just said. Um, in terms of present, the intersection between the disciplines and uh, of design, the design thinking aspect or teaching design to non-designers. The design for a social impact, which I'm really interested that you, you separate that as part of what is happening today and, and also that connects with the next question and also part of what you were saying about design dharma, um, which is the future bit. Um, because I think, uh, uh, I'm curious about why do you think design for social impact has been growing so much? And, and this is almost like the connection with the next question is about what is the biggest contribution that design can make to humanity, no? What do you think is the main problem designers should attempt to solve in this century we're living on today? And, and as you are talking about then about the future, which also connects quite na nicely, is this, this design, uh, this design role of celebrating human spirit or understanding human spirit from a, from a different perspective. And, and it sounds like it's a lot on almost like we could, we should make a podcast about it. I know there are ideas about it, <laughs> but, but, but it, it feels so fresh. And if you could just, well, we are going to the third question about biggest contribution that design can make to humanity. I don't know, what, what are your thoughts there and why you think Design for Social Impact has taken so much importance and what you think uh, we're probably going to start to go through even more abstract points like spiritual elements that I think designers also, we, we do have, we are logical and analytical, but also we're very good abstract thinkers, which is, could be quite beneficial to the idea of design dharma. Yes, exactly. Yes, I, I agree with that. So it's it's more about how to encapsulate the abstractness, right? <laughs> and and to me, I think talking about you know where is the spiritual in design practice? Where is the poetics? Like where is um, how are we trying to kind of depict or discuss or or reach something bigger than ourselves? through the products and services that we make. So that that's one of my questions around um, the spiritual and design or design dharma. So to answer your question on what is the biggest contribution design can make to humanity, I feel it's around providing the frameworks, the methods and the tools that support this ongoing evolution of the human condition and I know that sounds very abstract, but it's really about designing the frameworks to think with 
the methods and tools to put in practice and getting very good at doing that and understanding more how through the things that we make, the things like the products, the services, the things which are the outputs, how, how does that add on to the social environmental world that we are part of? Um, and I think it's about getting better and better. Could you, could you think of an example of something that you have seen like that? There's like, oh, that was a great way of reframe the problem or create a framework. And then they start to apply and combine methods and tools. Any particular story that you say, oh, that's it. That's, that's design in the future. That's design how it should be practiced. This is where I think technology is interesting because I feel that through advancing certain technologies, we are able to understand more the impact of the things that we create and put out in the world. Um, so an example of that would be, and I feel like I'm jumping to the last question now. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> uh, it's okay. It's okay. So, so, so an example would be, for example, uh, some friends actually. So provenance who have been working on how do we how do we develop uh, blockchain technology to provide a better understanding of where things are made and who they're made by, even though still at a very experimental, you know, prototyping, iterating stage. Uh, but that that is the greater I intention. So again, designing the frameworks, uh, so the piece of thinking, designing the methods and the actual tools, so coding, developing the back end of, of that Bitcoin platform to understand something quite simple as, you know, tuna fishing in Indonesia. How, who is it, who is it fished by? How is it packaged? Where is it sold? How does it travel? So, so how to tell those stories in a way that bring us to more of an awareness about the products that we're consuming. So, so that, that would be an example that I'm very, I'm very excited by the work that they're doing and sort of the yeah, certainly. that is underlying to that. Yeah, certainly provenance. With Jesse Baker leading, uh, they are using a lot of design implicitly. So it's not necessarily all the time, like kind of probably talking about design as we're talking today. But, but once you look into the way how they're using it, it's, it's very strong. It's very strong in every step that they're using in terms from their publications to their, the solutions, how they're implementing. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a really good example. And and what do you think about the other part of the question of uh, what are the main? I I will say there's no just one problem. There's so many problems, and you already mentioned wicked problems. But yes. what 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 kind of problems we we should be working on? Yes. So I I feel that one of the main problems in this century is actually how to rekindle the relationship between man-made systems and natural ecosystems. Because I feel that with the artificial intelligence advance and that becoming more integrated into the like everyday products that we're using, uh, everyday tools, um, 
I've, I've feared this disconnect between the world that we're be- building in artificial intelligence and the natural intelligence that exists in the ecosystems that we can't really live without yet. So, so for, for me, one of the biggest uh, challenges to solve is how to integrate those two worlds, the natural world and the artificial technological world. Um, you know, I mean, this could bring up other questions around things like singularity, um, hmm. you know, and, and like the future of mankind in that sense. Yeah, explain very briefly why singularity for people who might not be familiar with it. Yeah, so singularity, this idea of um, an integration between a human, the human living system and the technological system of um, artificial intelligence. Um, There is somehow, at the end of the tunnel, this idea that we can achieve that uh, and prolonging human life expectancy, for example, as well, through the use of technological pieces. Um, Yeah, or or that machines wake up and they they basically disappear human race. (laughs) Dismantle it. There's a lot of fear in this. Yes, there is a... Yeah, or colonizing Mars, all those things. <laughs> so, so that I, I think the brilliant thing in design is that we're able to like look back and see like we humans can create these devices, like we can create these super intelligent computers that can perhaps um, sort of outpower us. Um, I think that's pretty incredible, but that comes with also this again going back to the responsibility that Pepin was talking about in the 70s the responsibility of what does that do um, to like the other systems living systems in the world that we should not really have that control over so that that's my personal kind of um, fear and I guess my yeah, where, where I hope that we'll have some um, integrity to be able to rekindle a relationship that is beneficial for both, not beneficial just for humankind. Or sort part, of, or just one part of humans. And and what what do you think about question number four about skills? And and you talk about already start to mention things like integrity and start to mention uh, things about like yeah, being so aware of. Of living systems, uh, what skills designers we need uh, is like because it, it, the world is changing so much. Um, what what do you see is is a very good kind of to do list to go there and start to practice and absorb new skills. So this to me, and I say this to all design students now, uh, it's like it's seeing the world. To, to develop a world view is probably the biggest investment you can make in your design career. To just go around and actually see things. Because until you have actually seen the, the whole, like the spectrum of diversity in challenges and in ways people live, in, in consumption patterns, in resources or lack of resources, you need to have that worldview lens to be able to like holistically to holistically tackle any design challenge locally you need that global 
worldview. And and I feel that it puts things in perspective because what, you know, it's this idea of designing an app that will deliver sushi past 1 a.m. is not really a problem, you know, in the grand scale of... <laughs> or tacos. <laughs> or like green smoothies like those are not problems really you know mm. um so so it's this idea of firstly actually defining what a problem is and putting that into perspective mm. Mm. So, so what skills are essential yes i think the biggest investment is to just go around and see things um and to and to be uncomfortable um, to just constantly be uncomfortable, you know, like it, it's not. Which is not easy, right? It's like definitely easier said than done. It's like naturally be uncomfortable. You're a little bit comfy. Get out of there. Go and find a new, the new place. <laughs> yeah. Because you're learning. That's the point, right? Like you will yeah. be learning. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about that. And, and even because our feeds, like Facebook, for example, like our feeds are completely tailored to the things that we already like. Yeah. So we're never really surprised with something that is really uncomfortable, that's really disturbing, or that's really kind of, you know, it triggers something in us. So we, so actually at the moment, you kind of have to make an effort to find those things yeah. because yeah. they won't be on your feed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Totally, totally true, and and that reminds me of so so many things. But I think one of the things is to the, your very first point. Uh, uh, what Esso Mancini talks about cosmopolitan localism. So be aware of your of the interconnections of the world, but at the same time be strongly connected to to what is happening in your reality, you know, in your day by day. And so, final question: What are your favorite design sample stories? Uh, why? Who are your design heroes? You already mentioned one, Provenance. I guess yeah. uh, you will have a couple more. <laughs> I, so this question, um, there's two strands of inspiration, and I'll call it inspiration instead of heroes. Um, heroes is quite a hard. Word. Yeah, I know. I, I I love I love it that you frame it like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's two there's two strands really. One I've already discussed, which is um, a few people who are really pushing the boundaries of how technology can advance our relationship with the natural world and understanding where things are made and um, who they're made by. So the, the the second strand is working in this area of. Um, social innovation, sustainability. I've met quite a lot of people who are on the periphery of the mainstream. So they're, they're not on TechCrunch, you know, and they're not like on Vice Media or like, you know, all the design blogs. Um, so these are more like the unsung heroes, to call them a hero. So people who are really developing very innovative solutions in the communities that they are a part of, um, doing the best they can with the resources that they have, uh, and really reconfiguring things towards better solutions. Um, so I've met quite a few of those, especially through the, the PhD research where I was working with small scale 
small-scale businesses in the area of food alternatives. So people thinking about the future of food, um, the entire set of problems that come with that in terms of uh, sourcing, provenance, distribution, food waste, and people developing new solutions that respond to those challenges and at the same time allow them to to make um, a living of that as a as a business so so in the area of food I've, I've I found quite a lot of people who are very driven by by the passion of food production and kind of the cultural and social elements around food as well um, so, so those those people I would definitely call um, heroes, and then there is another set of people who also very much, even probably further on the periphery, uh, in more kind of emerging markets, uh, more remote parts of the world. Um, and one one project that I'm actually working on now or starting to is with a village in Bali, Indonesia, where they have a massive problem of the young people of the village wanting to leave and go work and find jobs in in larger cities. So there's this problem of desertification, which Europe, or like Portugal, where I'm from, has seen a lot of. And this village is still at a point where we can still do something about it. So. So with them, we're trying to problem solve or facilitating them to reach their own conclusions on what sort of new um, services could the, the village develop in a way to captivate the young people to want to stay and feel quite proud and happy to develop their life there. So uh, along the lines of developing like um, an art a residency for international artists to come in and live like in a homestay and have a, a communal studio where then they would speak English so the young people would learn how to speak English as well and in that sense develop more of a, um, what they're craving to go and find in another city they would it would come to them so this intercultural exchange um, so along, so so these might be some examples, I suppose, of people who really inspire me. Um, Those are great examples, and thank you very much, Joanna. I think I might lie to you about final question. This, the next one, is the final question, and this last very last question okay. <laughs> is just about what 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 do you love about design, or why you love design? The complexity. I think it's um, like the complexity and the deconstruction and construction of complexity. 21st Century Design is a research podcast by Engage by Design and Regenerative Design. Thanks for listening to this episode. And if you want to hear more, head over to iTunes or SoundCloud and subscribe to the podcast. You can suggest who we should interview next, write and leave a comment on our site, 21stCenturyDesign.com. Dot org. See you next time.